So I have the most sophisticated slide deck ever today. It's one slide. Because uh, my right arm, leg and body hiker is away this week, so uh, you don't want me doing a deck. You just don't. So what we're really looking at today in Thessalonians is Paul's idea of how we should live. How we should express ourselves as a church, as a community. How we should actually turn up. How we should actually present ourselves to one another and to the outside world. How how are we going to be? How are they going to know that we are church? How are they going to know that we are an expression of the fullness of the Christ? So what's quite surprising is where he starts. Because he starts with leadership, which isn't the place you'd really think he'd start, would you? You'd think he'd talk about love or relationship at this point or something. But he actually talks about our relationship with authority and with leadership. Because Paul understands this. When you correctly relate to spiritual leadership, you grow. You grow. When you don't correctly relate to spiritual leadership, your growth is hampered. Hmm. That's what he's really saying. And the interesting thing is, for me, the genius is actually in the first three words in this version of the message. And now, friends. So Paul views his whole paradigm of leadership between himself and the community of God as a friendship-driven leadership. Hello. He doesn't come in with authority. He comes in with friendship And out of friendship, his authority is built and stands. Hello. Every letter that he writes, virtually every one, he starts with the brethren, the brothers, the family. That is why our relationship with spiritual authority is so incredibly important. Mm. That's the starting point. So how I relate to these guys is fundamental to my spiritual growth. Because Christ has placed them there. Yeah. How I relate to other home group leaders that I work with is absolutely vital. Because Christ has placed them there. How I relate to worship leaders is vital. Because Christ has placed them there. How I work with children's leaders is vital. Because Christ has placed them there. How I work with anybody who takes any form of leadership in this community. How I relate to them is vital for my spiritual growth. It's the starting point. And it can also be the biggest downfall. And the biggest stumbling block. And the biggest problem. 
Can it not? But this is where Paul starts. And he starts by saying, the best way, the first way, that you can really express that friendship is through honour. Wow. I am sick and tired of the conservative debate at the moment. I want to throw it down the toilet. Shall I tell you why? There is no honour anywhere in it at all. I am fed up in politics with all parties of seeing such a tragic lack of honour. I am fed up of seeing a lack of honour in sport. I am fed up of seeing a lack of honour for leadership all over our society. It's everywhere. It's pandemic. And do you know what? We can change it. Shall I tell you how? By being friends to leaders. What a radical concept. Imagine John working with the council. This being a friend to the leaders in the council. As he speaks with friendship to them, John, I'm speaking to you prophetically, you will find authority will be released for you. Because when you show friendship, when you show kindness, when you show love, you gain authority. It's a biblical concept. Love is the most powerful thing, is it not? Therefore, how can you not but love your leaders? Because <laughs> if you don't, there's no authority. It's not going anywhere. Nothing's really happening. So we honour you and we love you. And we want you to know that. And we honour your hard work. We know you work far more hours than what you're paid for, like double. And we honour you. I know you just stand, the two of you. We honour you. And I acknowledge at times I'm not always kind to you. And I say sorry. I don't put it on others, I put that on me. And I want to model kindness and love to you. That you might feel loved and secure. And you actually might want to do this job. <laughs> Thank you. Have a seat. So honour and love... And kindness should mark our attitude towards leadership. Shall I tell you why? Because one day you'll find you're leading somewhere. <laughs> That's what you'll want. Because you'll lead somewhere. And what is their primary role as spiritual leaders for us? What do we need to come under? We need to come under their guidance. We need to come under their spiritual guidance and we need to acknowledge their spiritual guidance. And if ever you're in a community where you can't do that, then the question is, should you be in that community? Go somewhere else where you can find guidance that you can sit under. Because this is the key to sitting under spiritual authority, is to sit under the guidance. You see, they're like Sherpas. They don't know everything about everything. So... If you take a Nepal Sherpa and you go and whack him into the Alps, he's not a lot of good. Because he knows the principles of being a Sherpa. He doesn't know the paths. He doesn't know the routes. He doesn't know where to go.
We're doing this work with the school at the moment. We're creating Sherpas in the school, just guides for the kids. We're saying what kids really need is guides. So we're creating tribes and Sherpas rather than teachers. And we're just saying, come on, let's guide you. Let's guide you through your world. Let's guide you through your values. Let's guide you through your life. But you see, you want me sherping you around interior design. You don't want me sherping you around car mechanics. You just don't. Trust me. You don't want me anywhere near your car. Yeah. So I'm a sherpa in interior design, but you don't want me anywhere near your car. And particularly, you don't want me anywhere near your plumbing. Trust me. You don't want me anywhere near your plumbing. Yeah. So we all have specialist skills where we can be Sherpas, we can be guides, where we can be leaders, where we can actually shape lives. And we can do it in love and kindness. This is, this is how the authority system runs. We just all do our bit and we just, we just call in, we call in, we call in, and we walk in who we are. And then what we do with one another is we just overwhelm each other with appreciation and love. <laughs> Isn't this a great way of living? Isn't it a great way of relating to leaders? Not being frustrated and angry and upset and confused and annoyed with them. But actually overwhelming with appreciation. So I speak to myself now. When did I last go to somebody in our council or in our politics and just say thank you? Thank you for standing. I can remember once, I'm not saying this for effect, but just because it's the last time, it's honestly the last time I've been doing it, which is really tragic because it was a number of years ago. Chris had the opening of the Marlowe Rowing Club and Theresa May was there and nobody was talking to her. So I thought, I'll go and talk to her. So she went up to her and I just said, I just want to say thanks. She was quite shocked. So I just want to say thanks. Thanks for leading. Just thanks. Because you just work really hard. And I just want you to know, don't agree with everything you say and do, but I just today want to say thank you for taking up public office. I just want to say thanks. Is that all right? She went... That's great. That's great. What do you do? <laughs> we, got, we were sitting there chatting for 10, 15 minutes, and I talked about games maker and stuff, and we had a great chat. At the end of it, she made a point, came across the room, just saying, thank you for that conversation. She left. And I thought, when's the last time somebody thanked Teresa for what she did? I'm not very good at it. I don't know about you. So that's how Paul sees leadership. That's how he sees it. And this could be something really radical we model in our community. Couldn't it? When did you or I last go to the headmaster in our child's school and just, or headmistress and just say, thank you for leading this school? Hmm? Or the next time we go to the doctors, just say, Thank you for taking responsibility for this clinic. Thank you. We honour you for your hard work. Isn't it beautiful? Imagine if we were known as the community that did that wherever we went. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? Just a thought. Just to me, I just got stuck on friends. <laughs> I didn't, couldn't get past that as I read it. So let's now look a bit further on about how we kind of are with one another. Why don't you just read this? It's a great bit of scripture. (laughs) 
I just love the bit. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. It's just so real, isn't it? So here's the problem about being in a church community. People hang around. They don't move on. That's the real problem. Often they're here for keeps. Uh, So you've got to work it out. At times that's quite tiring, isn't it? Or am I the only one? Yeah? The metaphor that Paul uses most commonly to describe us is a family. For some of us, that's a great metaphor. For others, it's a really broken metaphor. But we understand the true metaphor of a family is. It's a place of safety, a place of caring, and a place of deep honesty. I know that my daughter and my son will say things to me that most of you in this room would not want to say. Because they're my daughter and my son. They'll just tell me exactly how it is, yeah? Warts and all. No, no holes barred. You know, like I come down the stairs and George just goes, Dad, change that shirt. Okay, gee, okay, I'll go back upstairs. I thought I was quite good with clothes. No, Dad, you're not. Change that shirt. Okay. Well, she walks into our house and she just goes, It's very white, isn't it? It's very white. <laughs> She's really pleased we've just done a dark blue lounge and she's told me, Dad, just to let you know, that's your best work so far. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Gee, great, thanks. Thanks, darling. I'll tell my clients. Brutally honest and brutally loving. Because she feels free to totally say it how it is with me. Because I'm a dad. And there's something in that that Christ wants us to be together. And there's something in it about us growing in our awareness of how we actually transaction and how we work together. I got really spoken to by a lecture reading last week. And it spoke about the principle of self-examination. And I want to read it out to you. Because this is what I'm working on with me at the moment. This is what Christ is convicting me about at the moment, is how I relate to humanity and how I relate to people. And I'm very, very aware that at times I believe in his grace I do it really well, and other times I don't do it very well at all. Because if I don't acknowledge I do it well, I'm not acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, and let's not have false modesty here. Okay? Because humility is about a truthful aspiration, understanding of yourself, not a, not a diminished one. Okay? So let's have humility and admit those things that we know we do quite well. We know for some of us we operate really, really well in certain ways relationally. Okay? We're really skilled at those things. And we've worked hard at those things. We find those things really easy. And in other areas, we don't work so well. 
So there are certain people that we work with really, really well, and we relate to really well, and we build with really well, and we care with really well, and for us it's really, really easy. That rhythm is really easy. And other people, they just have to say hello and we're dead. Or am I the only one? That we just get triggered straight away. Yep. So we have to work harder with those people. It's these ones. Snapping at each other. It's in there. That's why it's there. <laughs> it's real. It's not sin. Okay? It's real. But it needs to change. It can be sin. But generally it's not. Self-examination is the practice that facilitates spiritual awakening. I love that. When you examine yourself and you look at yourself and you ask yourself those questions in the mirror, that is the beginning of a spiritual awakening in your heart. As you do that transaction with God and you face up and you say, Alistair, you are oversensitive, because I am, just to let you know if you haven't worked it out. You are easily offended, too easily, Alistair. You get too easily offended, which I do, just to let you know, if you, haven't, if you don't know me very well. As, as you work... Oh, I can't go there because there's people working here. Thanks, son. So as you do that, as you wake into... As you press into that self-awareness, and as you begin to deal with that, a spiritual awakening takes place within you. The Holy Spirit comes in, sears your conscience. You get the nudge. Know what I mean? That is the beginning of the process. So, here's the first question. How much are we working with our personality and our behaviours to increase our self-awareness? Or are we locked into an echo chamber of our own ideas and of those that think like us? Okay? An awakening to the presence of God is really an awakening to ourselves and who we really are. Oh, hello. Wow. So when that awakening takes place, we begin to really understand who we are and what we are and how we should begin to relate to our world. And this is a bit deep, but hang on in there. When, when practiced well, it leads to a great sense of God's constant loving presence in your life. So this isn't hard work. But this is allowing the Holy Spirit to come within you and presence himself within you. It's about softening your heart and making space for him to come within you and shape you and mould you and build you. Yeah? Because he loves you. And it's a joy. It's not a heavy thing. Because walking in love is joyful. It's not tiring. It's exhilarating. It's life-giving. Because as you see that, and as you see love working, it's like a flipping drug. It's the best drug I know. Love's the best drug I know. I'm sure there's a Brian Ferry song about that. But anyway, it's, I love Brian Ferry, just to, just to drop that in. So there's something around that. Oh, that's right, love is the drug. Yeah, I just remembered it. So there you go. So, it fosters celebration within you of your created self. Isn't this beautiful? 
It fosters something within you about who you are and what you are. And you begin to realize the great work that Christ has done with you because you begin to find more and more love flowing out of yourself. And you acknowledge that love. You're not embarrassed by it. You don't deny it. You don't go into false humility. You go, do you know what? I'm a bit more loving now. And it's fine to say that. I hope I'm more loving than I was when I was 16 with some of the guys in this room. I really hope I am. If not, what have I been up to? What have I been doing? What has God been doing? What's the Holy Spirit been doing? Has it been void in my life? I hope not. So I hope I'm more loving. I hope I'm more sensitive, more aware. I hope I, I just listen a bit better. It opens us up to the deeper, deeper levels of spiritual transformation. Who wants to be spiritually transformed in here? Shall I tell you where it starts with? Self-awareness. It starts with the price of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm pretty good at this, not so good at that. And I want to work on the pretty good and the not so good, by the way. Not just, I'm not so good. But what I'm pretty good at, I want to really work at. I have worked my nuts off on prophecy. I really have. Sorry, I shouldn't have used that word. Prophecy. Prophecy. I've worked hard on prophecy. I didn't get here just by suddenly starting to be prophetic. I've worked and worked and worked and worked at it. Really, really hard. And some people far more gifted than me have worked less and got there. It's really annoying. So how's your self-awareness? And finally, if we do all of that, I believe we help the stragglers, we help the exhausted, we are patient, we do all those things. It all comes out of that. So suddenly we have energy for the exhausted. We have energy for that. And actually we have truth to be able to say to people, just wonder whether you're freeloading a bit here. So surprising that's in there, isn't it? You wouldn't expect him to say that, really, would you? You'd sort of say, oh, just love the freeloaders. No. <laughs> Confront them. Quite surprising, isn't it? Well, perhaps you're not surprised, but I was. When I, I thought, oh, that's a bit tricky. That's a bit I don't really understand. It's a bit of the Bible I don't really understand quite. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But I do get it, but I don't get it. Do you know what I mean? Or perhaps you will understand everything totally, but I don't. Anyway, next page. I had this all on one slide, but you'd all been partially sighted with it going like this. Next, is there one more slide, Tim? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Let's go to 19. Just read that. Closing thought. Got four minutes. Stick to time. I believe from the bottom of my heart this is the air I breathe. Your Holy Spirit living in me. I believe from the bottom of my heart that the Holy Spirit is living in me. So I believe wherever I go, the Spirit goes.
whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. I believe wherever I go, the spirit of the living God resides in me. And wherever I do this, in fact, what I'm doing is when I walk into a room, that's what I believe, it's like I've taken my shoes off and suddenly something of God's holiness has walked into the room. Because I believe I'm made in the image of God. So when I walk into a room, something of God's holiness, of the presence of the Christ, walks into that room. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do to earn it more or get it more. It's just been given by the grace of the cross. So, when I walk into my neighbour's garden, this is the air I breathe. When I walk into Marlow, this is the air I breathe. When I walk into the boardroom of AIG, this is the air I breathe. When I walk into a cafe that's going to be walking to in Cincinnati in October, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. When I walk, wherever I go, that's why I'm using these illustrations, wherever I go, when I, two or three weeks' time, I'm going somewhere else in America, wherever I go there, wherever I walk, wherever I walk, I'm, I'm just bringing the, the breath of God. I'm just bringing, this is the air I breathe. I'm just bringing life. That's what we need to release, the life of God, wherever we go. And one of the biggest things we need to release is freedom. Because the Spirit is a dove. The Spirit is a freedom maker. So don't quench the Spirit. Acknowledge in your heart that whether you're having a good day, a bad day, whether you've done really well in your relationship with Christ that week, or whether you've just, you know, had an argument with one of the na- your neighbours, don't care, don't care, sorry. But basically, as you walk, as Mara Clement puts it, five-minute beat-up, do your repentance, and then walk. Acknowledge it, do your repentance, have a five-minute beat-up, deal with it, accept that Christ has forgiven you, and start walking into it. Just start walking into it. And wherever you go, wherever you go, wherever you walk, I'm off camera and I mustn't keep doing that, keep forgetting. Wherever you go, you can just walk into the presence of God for those people. You can walk it into their lives. This is the air I breathe. This is my daily bread. It's, 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 a, daily, it's a daily ritual. So then when you know that, and that's in the core of who you are, then when you speak or act, as Francis of Assisi said, if you have to, use words. But when you speak and when you act, you bring the spirit of the living God. It's just we don't believe it. <laughs> we don't really believe it at one level, quite. We believe it sometimes. But that is the radical nature of the gospel. That is the message of the Christ. That's what the cross has done for you and done for me. 
And so as we do that, as we walk out in that, suddenly there's a freedom. There's a freedom to pray. There's a freedom to say. There's a freedom to live out these things. There's a freedom to prophesy. Two-minute story. I've had the privilege recently of working with Eton College. And I've been helping set the vision, mission, values for one of the houses in Eton, which is the house where the royals went. And this house has had, I think, one or two prime ministers in this house. Okay? So suddenly as I step into it all, and I'm not really... um, What's the word? Very affected or conscious by wealth and power and those things. That, I'm not really. That, don't mind trying to say. It. I'm not saying it for this reason. I'm saying it for the influ- influence impact question. To be really clear. So if I can walk in, and I can help set the values that might shape the next prime minister of the UK, is that worthwhile? I think it might be. Yes. Yeah. So I'm walking in, and I meet this young man. And this young man starts to unpack his story. And he's about to leave. And I know he's depressed about leaving. I just know he's depressed about leaving. I just know he's not dealing with leaving. So I said, can I just do something for you? Would you mind me doing it? I'm doing this, by the way, with the housemaster in the room watching me, by the way. And I just say, um, would you just take your hand? Would you, first of all, would you mind closing your eyes? It's a Christian meeting, isn't it? Would you mind? I'm, so I'm doing that just so that you focus. Just close your eyes. And then would you take your hand here? And would you lift your hand? And every time you, you have something you're grateful for from Eden, would you speak it out, please? So he speaks it out. And of course his hand does this. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. And I said, right, so now we've got gratitude. I said, now we're reaching for gratitude. I said, and if this works for you in your spiritual dynamic, you might want to thank God for that. Now, what you need to understand is that what that builds, what that helps you into is hope about your future. So now let's talk about all the things that you're hoping for and excited about. Let's talk about those, shall we? And let's name those, shall we? So he names those. So he ends up like this. In the lab, and the head teacher's looking at them, smiling, and he's grinning, and he's like, shesh, shesh, cat, and he's going, just does this. And then I say to him, and by the way, that quiet place, that garden, you haven't been here enough. And Mike says, take him to Lucknow Gardens now, whatever it's called, take him to that garden now, take him there now, you know where he means, Take, take him there now. And let him sit with you and let him speak to you about your future. And then the guy turns around to me and says, are you a seer? I said, yeah. I'm a seer. From my faith, I'm a seer. Why can't we do that? That might not be your thing. For me, that was a massive step. For me, I was quite scared about doing that. I thought, this could be a very nice contract that's just gone. (laughs) But I just had to listen. 
Let's close our eyes.